Good morning, church. My name is Dirk. I'm on staff here. I'm sure I've met most of you, but if I haven't, I'd love to chat with you more today. So this morning, we are kind of in between two series. So we just wrapped up our Together series with our Refocus Vision as a church. And then uh, starting next week, we're going to begin our deep and lengthy series in the book of Hebrews. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I'm sure most of you are as well. And so today can kind of seem like a one-off, uh, but I think it's a good uh, transition. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Let me get that taken out there. Um, before we get in, I'm going to pray, and we will then dive into this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that as we have just heard Paul's prayer for strength, that we would receive strength from you, that our minds, our hearts, our hands would be open to receive whatever it is this morning that you have for us. Um, Lord, we come with, with nothing of our own. We come with our need. And so, uh, Lord, we ask that you would supply abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a lot of you, I'm sure, are very familiar with the passage in Ephesians. Um, it's one of the apostles' prayers that, um, honestly, I think is one of the most solid uh, chunks of Scripture. It is one of those prayers that, man, you might not know what to pray, um, but you can just read through that prayer and ask for those things, and it will nourish you. Uh, the Lord will meet you in that. But what Paul's talking about here is this this theme of strength, and it's something that's beyond what uh, he's talking about here. It's something, it's a part of our experience for us as believers, but also as human beings. This theme of strength is really displayed throughout all of humanity. Um, if you're watching or trying to stay away from news and, and social conversations, you can see that uh, whether you're in it or not, you can see that strength can be dictated or talked about or valued in the sense of military strength, uh, diplomatic strength, being able to get your way with different nations, uh, athletic strength, academic, your wit, leadership qualities, your resourcefulness. Um, the issue is that we can get confused when it comes to identifying not just strength, but the most valuable or useful category of strength. People will stake their claims on any of those categories or anything that I didn't mention and say that that's the most valuable source or category of strength. Part of this confusion, I think, can be really seen and hashed out with Marvel movies and now shows. Uh, I think we're at a point, whether you're really into it or not, um, we're at a point where we have to get into really deep discussions and even debates about who is the strongest character within this cinematic universe, because I think it was kind of easy at first, like you had, back in 2009, 2008, you had like Captain America, you had Hulk, you had Iron Man, you had three to work with, and so you're like, okay, well he has superhuman strength, he has a lot of money and a lot of resources, he just turns into a big green monster, um, who, who's the strongest, but now we've gotten into this thing now over 10 years, over 20 movies, and now TV shows, where you're dealing with not just that, but you're dealing with God-tier 
characters with strength that you can't even really comprehend. You have these little rocks that can control reality and change time, and you have characters who can transcend time and know every movement that any person is ever going to make. You have people who can go and shrink into the quantum realm and, and interact with physical things that you could never do at our level. Traveling through not just time, but also different universes and the ability to wipe out half of all life in one of those universes. Like, and then you have like a mystic element with magic and, and sorcery, and you have um, just this cosmic level stuff. Like, and it's all interwoven, and they're, they're going to keep making more movies and shows and more characters, and you're going to have to really plot out with the red yarn on a whiteboard what is going on. But then the question comes down to, in, in those movies or shows, who wins? Who's the strongest? And often, there's always a toss-up because an individual character against others, there's always going to be a weakness that's going to get exploited that the other characters or, or villains or heroes will exploit in order to gain uh, victory. And so even with the newest movie, Shang-Chi, which I won't give too much of a spoiler, like the whole movie... The whole point of victory comes down to the most unlikely person who literally learned how to shoot a bow and arrow like a day before and like essentially killed the, the main villain. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's, it's that simple now? I, th- I thought we had all these different uh, categories to deal with, but it, it can come down to the most humblest of people and characters. So I'm getting at this to, to really talk about strength because it's within... Our design as image bearers, as those created in God's likeness, to not only possess it, but also exert it. But we get confused about how to define it and how to use it. Right? The strength itself isn't bad. It's how we try to use it and how we identify it. And so this is what Paul is trying to, and I, I believe he is, he is providing clarity and guidance for us in this passage this morning. And so what we see... within this chapter, even chapter 3, is there's this mystery of the gospel that's now coming to light, that's being revealed. So, if we take verse 14, chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. He starts with, with this. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason. What's the reason? So, like any uh, normal reader, I would go back to the passage before, and then I go to three one, and then he says again, for this reason... Following passage, it's like, okay, what, okay, what's the reason? Keep going back. And really, you have to get to the beginning of Ephesians and work your way through to figure out what in the world is Paul talking about here. Because I don't know if you know Paul, but really how he translates from Greek to, well, how we translated his writing in Greek to English, like there's a lot of run-on sentences, a lot of commas, a lot of really long stuff. You're like, oh my goodness, how do I sort this out? We got to start at chapter one. And what he's saying here at the beginning and through chapter 1 is that big picture, God has blessed us. Verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right off the bat, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What are all those things? I can't even tell you, but it's everything. 
verse 5, it says that he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, that he has adopted us. Not just, hey, I've not just blessed you, I'm actually bringing you into my family. He's taking you in closer than just saying, hey, here's some money, here's, here's some blessings, now go off and do your thing. Like He's bringing all of us into his family. And why? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved Jesus. Verse 11, he continues. On top of that, on top of every spiritual blessing, he says that we have been given an inheritance in him because of his adoption of us. Now, I think what's notable here is that in these couple verses here, he says the phrase, in him, meaning in Christ, eight times. It's to really convey the point, God is conveying a point with us here, that all of this is in Christ. It hinges on Christ, what he has done, who he is. It's only through him, because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Now, continuing into chapter 2, he builds more onto his case that he's not only blessed us, but he's also saved us. He kicks it right off in verse 1. And you were dead spiritually in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the influence of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's not saying like, okay, he's blessed you because you have like, you know, some good qualities, like you're righteous in your own little ways. Like, no, he's blessed us and adopted us and given us an inheritance in him. He's given us his spirit He saved us because he wants to show off his glory. He wants to show his power and grace in you and me. It's the beauty of God's, of who he is and what he is doing here. Right? And that's what hinges on verse 4. He says, but God, like, even though we were born into sin, even though we have our brokenness, and we, we live out the desires that just ruin relationships, it ruins people, it ruins society, it ruins social media, it ruins all these things, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not when we got our act together, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Not because of anything that you or I did, but because of the grace that he has shown us. By grace you have been saved. And later on in verse 13, he says that we have been, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This chasm that you, that, that we and the Lord had in between us because of our sin, that the blood of Jesus bridges that gap and reconciles us. It's all grace. It's all grace. Now, chapter 3. All of that <laughs> for this reason. Okay? All the blessings, saving us, adopting us, inheritance, all that. For this reason, 
I, Paul, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation as I have written briefly. Now, what he's getting at here is that there's this revelation that God has brought. God has revealed the fullness of his plan by his spirit to Paul, but really we can see this building and going throughout the entire Old Testament. That all people can come to the Lord. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, we don't use that language a lot. What he's saying here is this church in Ephesus would have a blend of a lot of Jews and also Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, so Greeks, uh, Greek culture, the Romans, and different nations who would live there. He's saying those people who are now in your city that you are interacting with, that have, they're kind of intrigued and, and wondering, like, what is this Christ that you're talking about? He's saying those who come and that you share the gospel with and believe that they are equal with you. We are once divided, and there is plenty of discrimination in that. He's saying, no, what Jesus has done, he's not only bridged the gap between us and God, he's bridged the gap between cultures. Because the gospel transcends languages, it transcends customs and culture and all of that. And he's bringing unity. And so then because of that, now Paul is saying in 14, he's giving, he's reading and writing for us this prayer for strength that's for all believers, and all believers need this. So understanding the massive weightiness of the gospel and what he was writing in the previous couple chapters, he's saying this. I bow my knees before the Father. The one who's blessed me, the one who's adopted me, the one who's given me an inheritance, the one who took me from being a child of wrath and cleansed me with the blood of Jesus and made me one with him. I bow my knees before him, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every family. He knows every family. From Adam until the last day, he knows every family that has been or ever will be. He's sovereign over all of it. Verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I get that. According to his riches, according to his glory, not our efforts. That should be restful for us to hear. That should be reassuring for us to hear this morning. He's saying he's going to bless, I'm asking for him to bless according to his riches that are unending, infinite, bottomless, and that you would be strengthened with power through his spirits. In 19, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this week I recently read through Colossians 1.19 where Paul also says, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so for us to understand this, that though Christ isn't here with us in person, he's back sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling, that he has sent his Spirit 
to go and dwell within every believer. I was talking about this a couple weeks ago when we were wrapping up the series. We were one of the last couple sermons. That the Spirit dwells within us in the same kind of fullness he dwells. He dwelled in Jesus in his earthly ministry. Like that is a statement that Paul is saying. That's what it means to be in the family of God. That you are so united with God that all of his fullness dwells in you at the same capacity as Jesus. Now, it doesn't make you sin, like, sinless. Like, you will never sin again. It'll make you uh, this, this really out of, contradictory to Scripture in the sense that now you are just Jesus walking around. Like, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that his, his proximity to you is the same as Jesus, as when he dwelled within Jesus. That, that is close. That's how intimate he is with you. He's giving you all of himself. But, okay. Paul's saying, I'm going to pray this for you. But why? Right, why, why would Paul want to pray for this? Now, this is going to get... Seem a little even more far-fetched. Let's go 7 through 10, chapter 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring, light, bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What? I thought the whole point of of God working within us was to go reach the nations. Now he's saying, through his wisdom to manifest through and in the church, to show it off, to the spiritual beings. So he's not canceling out what Jesus is saying because you can go through the rest of Ephesians and go throughout the rest of of the New Testament and you clearly see the call to discipleship. We're seeing here this transcendent Christ, this, this huge call for us, what it means to be a son and daughter of God. He's saying, What God is doing in you, yes, is a light to the nations, and he's going to bring it to completion. We believe that. We trust that. He's saying it's also showing to the spiritual places the manifold wisdom and power and grace and love and mercy of who he is. Peter is saying here in in 1 Peter 1.12, he says, talking about the, the, the topic of redemption, that These are things into which angels long to look. Isn't that like one of those weird passages you come across, you're like, what does that mean? Angels long to look into this. But, I mean, you have to think about it. What we see in Scripture is God's plan of redemption for people, us. We don't, at least what's written to us, we don't see a plan of redemption for spiritual beings that God has created who have fallen, who are living and leading in evil. And so when God's created spiritual realm sees what's happening here on the earthly level, there is a level of intrigue and perplexment. 
right? Because you have to think about it from that perspective. Like, to being in God's presence, always worshiping Him, always singing these songs, and then you see God kind of peels back the curtain and He shows His redemption of sinful people. He forgives sin. He's reconciling this relationship between Him and humanity. The Son who's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God had descended and taken on flesh. What is God doing? And he doesn't just go in flesh. He is serving people. He's healing their ailments. He's casting out demons. Why is he getting whipped? Why is he getting flogged? Why is he getting nailed to a cross? Why is he buried in a tomb? Why is his body raising up on a Sunday morning? How great is he? This is greater than I think we're usually aware of, guys. Because there is there's spiritual power when, when we are ministering among ourselves and when we're doing outreach, praying for one another, singing, serving, in community, discipleship, evangelism. That is so powerful. At a spiritual level, because we see what God is doing in our midst with the people that we are ministering to. But at the same time, what Paul's saying is that when we do that, we are showing to the spiritual world the manifold wisdom of God that is so transcendent. It's so beyond all that we could think. And God has deemed it worthy to do this within us. Now, you know, like I said, like, this is God showing off his wisdom to the spiritual places, and it's, it's to the angels, like Peter said, they're perplexed and intrigued by this, but it's also for showing off to the demonic as well, right? Because you look at the Gospels, you see that, okay, first they had to deal with the Son of God in flesh going around and healing and casting out demons. Now they have to deal with God's Spirit, who is now dwelling in every believer who Jesus has saved, This is a war, and Paul knows this. If you look at chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. It's a spiritual battle. So, We'll get more into that in a little bit, but this is also in part why Paul is praying for spiritual strength, that there is a spiritual battle, that you as a Christian are therefore a part of whether you like it or not. So, whoo, scare tactics, great. Um, having a good morning so far? Great. Um, so we have to see that spiritual strength is absolutely essential for us. You look at the call of Jesus, and in, throughout the Gospels, what is the call of Jesus? And, it, and it's, you, you kind of reduce it down to the Great Commission, but you can look at the, the Sermon on the Mount. How are we to live, family? I mean, if you look back at even our measly little series over the last month, 
like our vision for what it looks like to be in community, our vision for what it looks like to pray and to sing and to pursue one another and to forgive one another and leadership and mission and all of those things. With what strength will we do this? Having just finished this series and, and having a focus on it, now at the tail end, before we head into something new, I want to pose the question, with what strength will you do this? Because your answer to that question will either lead to flourishing or a nightmare. It is crucial to understand the answer to that. Because, I'm speaking from myself here, we are tempted to look to the world even though there's so much of a spiritual component. Like I can, I can read through all of Ephesians and, and go through the really spiritual passages, but we can still at the same time look at the world to get our answers to that question with what is the source of strength? What does the culture offer? If you could try to reduce it down to the Mm, most common theme in our culture today, I think it is self-determination. Which is just a really long word for pride. So we can say that we're running towards the call of Jesus without understanding how God can really provide it. Without understanding that only God can provide it. And that can look like this. It can look like relying on our gifts over the giver. Relying on our natural talents, our ability to play music, our ability to speak, our ability to, to work or work with numbers or administrate. Relying on gifts over the giver. It's leading without understanding his leadership. Giving without understanding his posture for giving. Sacrificing without understanding the sacrifice of Jesus. Or we use other definitions. So, I mean, if you listen to enough TED Talks or podcasts, like, you can find so many definitions for a single word. I mean, you search for community and understanding of community in any of those platforms, you are going to get thousands of understandings and definitions. But how many of them really line up with the gospel? How many of them really line up with the way God has designed community? How many of them reflect the nature of community within the Trinity? And I think often what we can find in the world's standard for community, it can be so shallow, it can lack depth, it can lack transparency, and it's really just a lot of surface-level stuff. Self-determination can look like a lot of planning without prayer. It can look like doing a lot of things without being mindful of the Lord, and we can just... Chalk it up to, hey, busy, right? We're all busy. But the self-determination, we can, we can kind of insert it into the equation of how we walk with Jesus and we kind of normalize it. But the danger of it, it can also be a means to a different end. Like it's not really about Jesus, the way that you do those things and why you do those things it could really just be a more greater obsession with yourself. Right? Like, why? I'm not saying this is you, but maybe. 
why do you want the glory? Why do you want ministry credentials? Why do you want to be a part of the best church in town? Is it really about the church? Is it really about the people? Or is it actually more about you? And how you want to be seen and who you want to be associated with? We can focus so much on ourselves that we will not only lose sight of Jesus, but also wander away from the truth of of who God is. There's uh, a couple studies that came out in recent years. Uh, I think it was about two years ago. And this has to do with spiritual strength. It's real stats, real real research. Uh, Christianity Today, two years ago, 59% of Christians believe the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. Let me read that again. 59%, almost two out of three Christians, believe the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. We're talking Star Wars here. This was more recent. Sixty-two percent say that the spirit is just a force. Fifty percent of born again believers say that he doesn't exist. It's a nonsensical statement. People who said, I am a born-again Christian are saying that the Spirit doesn't exist. They don't believe that God dwells in them. They don't believe that He is there to lead you or convict you or to fill you with strength. I guess they haven't read John 3. What does it mean to be born again? Not of flesh and blood, but by the Spirit. I think it's revealing, not just of the world, it's revealing of maybe even some of us who are here this morning. Guys, this is a serious issue. One, because it's believing lies, but now you have two out of three Christians. You have two out of three Christians who are set up for disaster. Because they're not relying on the strength that only God can give through His Spirit. It can look like abandoning spiritual strength like that. Or maybe you think God is holding out on you, so you try to just do it yourself. Which is really a repeat of Genesis 3. Like, God provided everything in all of creation but one tree. And I don't know necessarily what you are struggling with or what you're dealing with, but not to just focus on the one thing that God says, no, and think that he's holding out on you. 
not to think that he's oppressing you because he said no to this one thing. Because he's saving you so much grief. And we are living on the other side of Genesis 3 because of that decision. You think God's holding on and you should try to do it yourself. Why do you think New Age practices are so appealing? Because in that belief system, you can be your own little God. You can build and acquire your own power. And, at least in thought, think that you're not in submission to anyone. But the hard truth of that is, as you express or expose yourself and draw into things that are not of God, you're opening up doorways to things that will not submit to you, that you will instead be in submission to. That you will actually put yourself into deeper, more painful and destructive bondage to evil. And so whether it's you're driven by self-determination or you're appealed to things like the New Age, like, yeah, you could explore both those things at Target. It's really accessible. And both are tactics, not just good I- or ideas that the world has conjured up, but what Paul says in Ephesians 2, prince of the power of the air. He has come and he has, bring, he has brought lies and seeped them into the culture and then even what we see within the church, denying that the spirit even exists. So we see the fruit that it produces. I think so, whether in our lives maybe a little bit, that it, we burn out. We just flat out burn out. And if we haven't yet, it's probably just a matter of time. Our marriages suffer because we neglect our spouses, Maybe. Our communities, our families are divided and lifeless because we neglect everyone because of our own selfish desires. Um, we experience ministry fatigue because we neglect rest. Uh, myself, back in uh, 2014, when we were first starting up college ministry here and I was leading it up, I think it was a couple months in, and I um, started developing an allergy to cold, which is not a very common thing. Uh, Essentially with that, uh, anytime I was in cold water or around cold air, I would begin to break out in hives. Um, Bad enough to an extent where I about passed out and fainted in a pool, which would have been really bad. Um, What I believe, now doctors are kind of unsure on this, but I believe like a lot of that was stress-induced because I was not resting. And like... As of now, I'm still permanently deferred at BioLife because they don't want to inject cold fluid in you. Like, that would not be good. Um, but it just mounted and, and grew and snowballed into this level of anxiety and stress that I just could not handle because I wasn't resting. And I've still struggled to figure out what good rest looks like, even to today. You can ask my wife. And, but it's been growing. It's been getting better. But the issue with that is, like, my self-determination in that led me to near-ministry burnout. So spiritual strength. We need spiritual strength that not only, well, that provides endurance to run the race that Jesus has set before us. So what strength did Jesus show? Right, so guys like Simon the Zealot in the Gospels would have been expecting him to come in as this conquering ruler with an army, a physical army, to overthrow Rome. Well, that was not the case. Because he's the lion and the lamb. He's a king, but he's also our sacrifice. And he demonstrates his strength 
and supreme authority over creation and sin by entering it and dying as a sacrifice for us. It's a hidden strength that we're not acclimated to. It's something that we wouldn't expect. And so even in a scene at the cross where Jesus is nailed, someone who's mocking him says, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And Jesus demonstrates that he is the Son of God by staying. Because there's a purpose in the cross, there was a purpose in the cross that completely transcends our expectations of strength. Completely transcends it. So where does our strength come from? Yes, it comes from the Lord. So I want to go through a few verses here. And man, if you're just in a place of struggling, and like, man, I've just felt it this week and even this morning, I, w- I just encourage you just to close your eyes and just to hear the word of God over you. In Nehemiah 8, I've, I quoted this a couple weeks ago. Ezra reads through the law of the Lord. Hundreds and hundreds of laws. And the people are weeping. And he says, do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. His joy is your strength. Isaiah 41, 9 through 10. This is the Lord talking to his people. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. Psalm 73, 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So family, is he for you? Will he strengthen you in your need today? Yes. That's what he says. And so as we're feeling, I think, this tension between the weakness that we feel within our bodies, within our spirits, within our minds, and we're hearing what God is saying, that he will supply our strength because it is his joy that is our strength, and he will supply it without conditions. How do we wrestle with that tension? And really, how do we fight? Which is, is, a, is a weird thing because we feel our weakness. And I think we start off in this by admitting and confessing to the Lord our weaknesses. God, this is where I'm weak. Admitting and confessing to the Lord where your failures are, where you lack in your mind, where you lack in your belief, where you lack in the way that you live. And the thing is, guys, what Jesus says to you and me in that weakness, in the failures, in the burnout, 
in our pride, he says this. He doesn't say, just do born Bible study. He doesn't say, you need to serve more. You need to give more. It's not what he says. He says this in Matthew 11, come to me. Come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. His invitation to us is to come and rest. Come, with, come to him with your failures, your inabilities, your weaknesses, your shame. Give him your burdens today because he willingly takes them. And he will give you strength that will transcend the moment that will not make sense. Like Paul's saying this, he's asking God that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that in that we would be rooted and grounded in his love, that we would be given the strength to comprehend and know, not just know about, but know, tangibly know the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love that surpasses knowledge. It puts us at the end of ourselves that removes fear, that casts out fear and brings us to the presence of the Lord. Right? Have you ever met a Christian who, who has just something about them or just loves in such a way that they just don't even seem human? Like, how can you live this way? How do you pray this way? And, and I believe, like, those are people, man, they have just been in that. They have just been brought into either a season or now in their lives a way of understanding the Lord and the knowledge of Him that brings them at the end of themselves and walking in that love. And so, yeah, Paul's asking the Lord to fill us with all of His fullness. So what? So that what? So that we would be able to live out the rest of Ephesians. Right, because what's Paul going to address in the following passages? To strive for unity with our brothers and sisters, to equip the saints, to attain maturity, to forgive one another, to put off darkness, and to live the new life, to address one another in songs, to give thanks for everything, to submit to one another, for spouses to love and sacrifice for each other and reflect Christ in your marriages to the world and the heavenly places, for families to be nourished spiritually, for workplaces to have godly bosses and godly employees, and to wage war against evil. We need spiritual strength. And only Jesus can provide the strength family. And so we're going to end with this. You want some application? I'll get you some application. We're going to go into response time. And so, like I said earlier, guys, the application with this, okay, if Paul is asking for God to bless us with this, that we need to enter into this, this time, this morning, but into a way of life that is humble, to approach the Lord aware of our weaknesses and our neediness, And just be honest with him, guys. Just be honest with where you're at. 
to be honest about your weaknesses, to be honest with him about your failures. He already knows. But he wants you to say it. He wants you to confess it. Or maybe you don't feel like you're weak, or maybe you don't feel like you have failures, but maybe the question you should ask is, where do you feel strength? And is that strength actually a cover for weakness? And so to approach the Lord in that way, to openly confess, to see you in Him, approach Him because He says, come to me. Receive Him. Receive Jesus and His strength this morning. And guys, this is where we can bring in big prayers. Right? Because what Paul says at the very end in verse 20, now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, our generation, forever and ever. Amen. So, whatever you're feeling this morning, as far as weakness, as far as inability and lack, when you see the call of Jesus and you look at your life, man, it is a mess. Like, where do I start? This is where we bring our requests to the Lord. He wants to hear our requests, guys. He wants to minister in us this morning. He wants to minister to this body, the Cedar Falls campus, this morning. And so we bring requests. We're not just going for little prayers like, God, just get me through the day. Like, we're asking, God, bring your fullness within me that casts out depression. Once and for all. God, bring the fullness of your spirit within me that casts out anxiety, that casts out my pride, that casts out fear of the unknown and death, that removes my wandering eyes and ears to social media to, to just get mad about politics. Would I be filled with your fullness, God, to, to walk in your grace? Big prayers like that. And so we're going to just leave some space for that, guys. Just, just pray. We're not going to rush through everything this morning. I don't want us to rush through that, but to linger in it. So we're going to give you time to pray. Um, if this is your church, there'll be an opportunity to give. We'll have a slide up for that. Just out of what God has done in your life, just give from that. We're going to have communion at the front like we do every Sunday. and It's not spiritual strength because you took the bread and the cup. We come up here, we take the bread, we dip it in the cup to remember Jesus, to remember what he has done for us. And it's through that sacrifice he gives us strength. He meets us in our weakness and gives us strength. And if God has been working in your heart this morning and maybe revealing something that might be for the church or something maybe, maybe you're just trying to process through that God's just showing you, like, man, what do I make of this? Um, you can go ahead and, and approach me. I'll be in the back. Um, and we're going to spend some 
extra time here in, in singing, in singing God's praises, in remembering his goodness, remembering his strength and his grace that he freely gives to us, church. It's a free gift. So it's for us this morning to receive, to be transformed, to pray for it, to ask for it, and to be free from the things that have been hindering us and holding us bondage. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have blessed us above and beyond all that we could ask or think or imagine. You are good. So Lord, would you move powerfully in us this morning as we sing and we pray and we take communion, all of it, Lord. Be here among us. Set us free. Would people receive freedom maybe for the first time? Would people receive healing in aspects of their lives for the first time this morning, God? We're asking big, big prayers. We seek you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. Would we live in light of that, Lord? Lead us in that. We love you and thank you in your name. Amen.